This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, investors, and welcome back to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, the weekly podcast that's all about the markets and investing. Or should I say the Two Wise Monkeys podcast? Because <laughs> this week, it's just myself, Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and Mr. Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Our friend, Claude Walker, not feeling too well today. So, Claude, I uh, hope you get better soon. Absolutely. But, Matt, just you and me today, my friend, what are we going to discuss? Yes, so today we're, we're going to um, be answering a couple of requests. So the first one is cool. to talk about a, a company that I think we both know pretty well, which is BWX. Mm. Might be familiar um, to some listeners, particularly the products that they make, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a minute. And then we're going to talk about when to change your mind. So uh, yeah, quite an important topic in investing, not just having the idea, but when, when you need to be flexible about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one's one from the mailbag. So as we've been saying, you can send us an email to uh, three wise monkeys podcast at gmail.com. That's T H R E E. That's correct. Yep. That's correct. Three spelt with letters, yep. <laughs> not a number. Uh, so we had an email come through there uh, asking us about pushpay. So we're going to dig into that. Um, some tough questions, tough questions for me on, on pushpay. All right. Well, I hope you're ready. But uh, look, let's start a little bit with BWX, which uh, is the company name and also the ASX code. Now, um, as you said, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with this, but for those who aren't, these guys describe themselves as a vertically integrated developer, manufacturer, and distributor of quote unquote natural beauty products. So these are beauty products that don't have any of those nasty chemicals <laughs> in them. I, I can tell that you're gonna love this after our, our A2 discussion the other uh, week. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually more on board. Are you board okay with, with this, this one? Where's well, this come from? Yeah, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the um, chemicals that are used in the industry are legitimately okay. scientifically right. incredibly bad seen, in a whole okay. bunch of different ways. I don't know so, if I've seen the studies on this, but all right. All go right. science, my friend. <laughs> go science. Um, so I guess most people would be um, familiar with the Sukin product yeah uh, that is that that is the big one for them that's the one that they're most widely known for but they've also got a host of others mineral fusion edward beale a few others as well um all of these brands most of these brands were actually acquired the company listed back in 2015 only three short years ago and went on a bit of an acquisition binge really with a, i guess a a view to sort of you know enter new channels and new markets and new product categories and frankly matthew it was pretty successful um in the past two years so we've got financials for 2016 17 and 18 yeah. it was pretty incredible uh, sales were up by 173 percent operating profit more than doubled in that time and the share price just went on an absolute tear went a bit above eight dollars earlier this year but then it all started to sort of go a little bit wrong yeah it came unstuck for sure so uh, this is one that I'd followed for quite a long time and 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 bought shares in, mm-hmm. uh, and the thesis for me was more around that core brand Sukin. So that's mm-hmm. the one that you've probably seen well now in supermarkets. It was previously only in pharmacies. Yep. Uh, and it was just a just kind of clicking, I guess. So this natural skincare um, segment had been doing extremely well. A lot of people, as you said, uh, for some reason convinced by this science, but mm-hmm. not the wonders of A two. <laughs> um, and uh, and so it was doing really well. And it was growing. It was a very fast growing segment in an industry that is always quite attractive. 
expensive. So if you look at, yeah. um, you know, the, the L'Oreal and Estee Lauder of the world, if you if you get to a certain scale, can be incredibly attractive economics because it doesn't cost too much to make a, a bottle of the stuff that they can sell for quite a high margin. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of what got me interested in it. Uh, but what I guess um, has what kind of led to this getting unstuck, this history, was when they um, made some pretty major acquisitions mm. uh, and that those just started to, I guess, underperform. So the actual core underlying growth um, stopped appearing so much. So yeah. it was back in February when they released this uh, kind of quite shocking earnings downgrade. And, it was, and yeah. it's one of those things where, as you'd say, the share price is up multiples, right? Several hundred percent over yeah. the prior couple of years. And the flip side of that is that there's quite a lot of expectations built in. Yep. And if you if you have even just a, a low growth, um, everything can come crashing down pretty quickly. And it was a pretty saw. big reversal of, of fortune. So that, that incredible growth just took such a, such a, a U-turn, really. I mean, they <laughs> when they did eventually report their results, um, the first half profit was down about 31%. Now, when you factor in that there were actual contributions from new acquisitions yeah. at that time as well, that shows you that the underlying... The existing brands and businesses weren't really doing that well. Yeah, they had some. They have. Oh, there's always adjustments, right? They yeah. have their own underlying numbers on that. Um, and so they they try to they did pitch a story that at the time you kind of like going is okay. Mm. I think that they were very um, kind of opaque. They were obscuring mm-hmm. the true organic growth. So mm-hmm. it was actually tried hard to figure out. How much like for like is you know Sukin growing in Australia? How much is growing externally? And they didn't disclose that separately. That, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't very clear. Mm. And I think it was something that um, it just kind of came out on the analyst call, where it just wasn't very obvious. Yeah. Um, and that is something that um, can be kind of a red flag, I guess. But it was definitely the point where they were on pretty thin ice for me. Yeah. From that point on. Yeah. Because it was a. Um, a very big change of the thesis. If you mm. think about why you originally buy something, you have yep. to think that through very carefully. Yep. And B is just kind of, you know, management kind of discretion didn't seem too good. It seemed like they might not be completely upfront. So. And, uh, oh man, there's so much to talk about there. But we also have to, of course, mention the MBO, the management buyout. Mm. So uh, we had uh, a consortium of different investors here. It's actually backed by the CEO himself, Mr. John Humble, and the finance director, Aaron Finlay, in partnership with Bain, a big private equity firm. Yeah. Um, so the share price had come down a little bit. It was around $5, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then they launched this bid, which was at a really good premium. Yeah, $6.60, like, I think. 660, yeah. uh, which just seems like a really good uh, <laughs> uh, price at this point in time. That was 20 times EBITDA, 20 times operating profit. So for those that's not in the know, that's that's quite a healthy uh, yeah, multiple. That's a big multiple. Like private equity like to buy things cheap normally. Mm. They like to buy it, you know, eight times what they call EBITDA or operating. Oper- they call operating cash. It's not really cash, but yeah, they they like to buy around there. And this is 20 times, so it's pretty high. And you know. Um, could make sense if it's extremely high quality, but that's really at the upper end of what you'd ever want to pay in that type of deal. And they so obviously that, thought that they, they could, they they could get good, value yeah. out of that. Yeah. But of course it was, uh, what, what are the words that they use? Uh, indicative, conditional, <laughs> yeah, non-binding, non-binding. It, had, it had about cetera, six of these qualifying words yeah. in the statement. Indicative, non, yeah, non-binding, yeah. yeah. And there's just every option to like clearly 
you know, you, you shouldn't be taking that one to the bank. And and so they they embarked on this period of due diligence. They go into what they call the data room, which sounds really cool, but it's really just a boardroom somewhere, I guess, with mm. with a bunch of uh, analysts and lawyers sort of pouring all over. It the sounds statements. super cool. I always imagine there being a lot of like flashing lights and you it's know, like those like ten 1950s screens. computers with the you know the <laughs> magnetic tapes wheeling in the background, etc. Yeah. yeah, the data room. The data room. Yeah. Um, but they didn't like what they found in the data room, no, evidently, because ultimately the whole thing fell in a heap. Interestingly enough, the market seemed to really pick that one rather well because generally when there's a takeover, um, you know, the market price adjusts yeah, to that. To it goes almost to right, the up, price. right up to yeah. the price there. But it was actually at a pretty big discount there. So the market was pretty skeptical of mm. it. And it turns out that that turned out to be pretty justified. And so since then, things really, really fell away. Yeah. So um, now, so where are we now? Andrew? Where, are, so where we now? are we now? So I believe they've um, they've released some recent guidance where the uh, what was that? I think seventy percent of their profits going to come in the second half. And this is just yeah. to get to uh, again this EBITDA, this operating profit that is flat, the same <laughs> as what it was last year. Again, this business is growing incredibly well. They're going to have a full year contribution from a lot of these acquisitions, and they're now saying that well, it's actually going to be the same as it was last year. This isn't per share either, so there's no dilutive aspects yeah. to any of this kind of stuff. Um, and as you say, for them to hit that, they they will need to make 70% of their profit in the second half. Now, that's a big call. And, and we've seen this on the market a lot, actually. It feels like a lot lately where, where a company disappoints in the first half and then says to investors in the market, it's cool. We're yeah. going to make it up in the second half. And it doesn't always The happen. second half club. The second it's half club. It's always very sad to find yourself in there. Yeah. If you, particularly if you already own the shares, right? You're like, oh, but you know, that second half will be really good. <laughs> and sometimes it is, but yeah, it's pretty Well, rough. here's the thing. Even if... It is, right? Yeah. It's a flat result. Yeah, this okay. is like the worst second half. It's like, hey, if we just double profits in the second <laughs> half, we'll be back to flat. You know, but, but, yeah. but everything at a price, I yeah. suppose. So we're talking about that multiple before. That, that same multiple, that enterprise value to EBITDA is now actually on about 11 times. Yeah. It seems pretty cheap. So the new CEO recently at the AGM, uh, you can read the, the chairman and CEO's address online, and he's basically said, look, a big part of our problem was this management buyout. It distracted all of our team. We, ha we were putting a new enterprise resource system into play. Uh, we were putting a whole bunch of, of new initiatives into play, and this, this takeover just distracted us all, and it made it really hard to look. That's all behind us now. Yeah. Um, the businesses are largely integrated. Uh, we're seeing some good things um, in, in a lot of our offshore markets. Uh, and if you kind of think that that's the case and that mm. they're going to have a good second half and that they're, you know, they're not going to go back to that huge acquisitive level type growth but if they can sort of get anywhere sort of up a single digit type growth it's probably pretty cheap now right yeah i actually it's it's, it's an interesting one because it's fallen so far now that it's it's hard to say that it's the same sell that it was one time yeah um, I, I should have asked you by the way what, yeah. so what, what point did you sell yeah so i sold very shortly after the um the news of the takeover indicative non-binding theoretical proposal came yeah, out right. so i think we sold at six dollars okay um which was you know today it's three dollars thirty or something well so done. it worked out pretty well there yep. um and it was really just around uh realizing that there's a very good chance that this could not go through mm. and not just that but it's also i think thinking through the probabilities 
in each case. So if it doesn't go through, what will that mean? Mm. Well, it'll mean there's going to be a huge six-month-long distraction yeah. and the business will be terrible and there'll be a new management team that we don't don't know at all and don't understand. So All those so, things yeah. that played out. And all yeah. that did happen, but you know, there was never an assumption they would. It was just there's a, a reasonable chance of that and yeah. are you pricing that in? Um, we'll come back to that, actually. That's a really good point for when we talk about sort of thesis creep yeah, and when, when you change your mind. thesis creep. Um, <laughs> yeah, so for me, it's, it's like interesting now, but it's a very different thesis. It's a very different yeah. idea. So we talk about thesis, which just means why are you buying the stock, basically. Yeah. And it, to me, it's a very different um, company to the one that I looked at, which was growing extremely fast, mm. like 25 to 30% a year, and had kind of tapped into this fast-growing market segment and also a lot of um, international buyers. So Chinese um, shoppers were coming here and, and buying them up. the Chinese yeah. market. Yeah. yeah, which was, I think, a lot of people's driver of this is a lot of fund managers saw, you know, Bellamy's and A2 Milk and Infant Formula, and yep. this was definitely a hot product yep. that was getting sold out at pharmacies around Chinese New Year time. And there was a time when anything, that any company that mentioned China, you yeah. know, it automatically <laughs> got a premium just 100%. because of that. Yeah, and uh, it's just not the case now. And mm. so now it's going back to the kind of boring real world of having to grind out, getting new distribution and all that stuff. Um, and it could it could be cheap. It's just not my not my cup of tea. I like more the fast growing type of companies. That's where I like to focus. So. Would you call it a turnaround? It's hard. Well, you know, earnings are going. They're not gone backwards at any point. Yeah. And perhaps potentially resuming growth. So maybe turnaround's not the right term for it. I guess if they bounce out of this, it would kind of be a turnaround for yeah. me. It's not like the worst turnaround. It didn't turn fully 180. It didn't um, collapse and then have yeah. to rebuild. It, but it sort is of a, stalled. It is a rebuild of strategy mm. though, because I remember when I, you know, there was. Um, some folks that were negative on it and kind of saying that this company is just going to keep acquiring and um, yep. keep doing this. I never saw it, but it did end up happening exactly right. like that. Um, yeah, but that I think that now they have to completely change the strategy so that they're focused on building organically, which is very different to the other management team, mm. um, and just playing a more conservative route. So Interesting yeah. when you say that with the, um, the, the driver there. I, I noticed that a lot of the criticism early on was that the management's remuneration, their performance bonuses were tied to EBITDA, again, this yes. operating profit, EBITDA, yeah. which, which is a bit of a, a side note, is always a very interesting thing for an investor to look at because basically, you know, what Charlie Munger tells us, um, it makes just a hell of a lot of sense is that incentives matter. 100%. And if you're going to get a big fat bonus by making EBITDA a lot larger. You're going to make again, EBITDA larger. You're going to make EBITDA <laughs> larger. And how is the easiest, quickest, yeah. fastest way to make EBITDA bigger? And that is just to buy another business. And again, it's got nothing to do with number of shares on issue, especially when your shares are trading at a nice high premium. You can raise a whole bunch of uh, uh, capital on market or you can just pay with shares. And it's very, very easy to do. But the history of the market is littered with the remains of businesses that have gone on acquisition binges. Absolutely. And they they just haven't had that underlying organic growth or they haven't been able to integrate it well and this has not sort of worked out very well at all yeah so it's a trap. is it is it a pass for you yeah it's a pass for me it's just not my my style box i guess you'd say it's not the type of company if it was much cheaper mm. i just I, know, I still have my value roots yes yeah. <laughs> um but it's not not for me now if i saw that um the company started to turn around on growth though which should should be part of the playbook right after this um 70, if they can deliver the 70% in the second half, then they should be tracking pretty well in that half. And if they can do that again for another full year, they should be doing pretty well. Yep. So that's where I'd probably get more interested. Um, but again, I just need, to, uh, need a bit more upside for me. 
I'm always a little bit, again, listeners of the show would know we, we have a very strong sort of technology kind of bias and yeah. we need to sort of pick into that a bit more as to why the reason for that is. But I'm always, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are a manufacturer of beauty products. They're up, yeah. they're up against Unilever. They're up against Colgate Palmolive. You know, the, real, the asset that they have really is brand. Mm-hmm. And when you've got brand in the retail space, I mean, you know, consumers are super fickle. Sukin came out of nowhere. Yeah. Right? It just it came out of nowhere and was this huge phenomenon. And I'm not saying that it's going to die tomorrow, but it just it wouldn't be a surprise if it did. Maybe it'll go on to, to incredible things, but it's that space can just evolve so, so, so quickly. Yeah. And so, you know, without that brand, then it's just, it's a race to the bottom and very, very thin margins and all of that kind of stuff. So for me, it's also a pass as well. Um, I did put a valuation on Strawman um, today, in fact, when I was having a bit of a look at this. I think it's probably around about a fair price, not yeah. cheap, not expensive, if you believe that they can get this thing back on track. And as I say, grow at that sort of upper single digit, maybe 10%, 11% type growth rate, then it's a buy. But I, I do not have the conviction to back it at this stage. And like you, I need a much bigger discount to get interested. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that's a really good point around the brand because it doesn't take too long for a competitor. All the competitors have natural products like right. this too. It's not like they're the only ones that can do it. So yep. you need that barrier. And they've got scale yeah. and other advantages exactly. as well. So yeah. yeah okay, tough. so that's a, that's a pass from the two of us as well. And of course, we'd always encourage you to sort of challenge us on that as 100%. well. Because, you know, we, yeah, I'd love to yeah, write us in. We could, Let us know why we're wrong. We could be wrong. It happened yeah. once or twice before, <laughs> didn't it? So it could happen again. Absolutely. Mate, let's talk about Speaking ab- of when we're wrong, let's talk- when have we had to change our minds? Well, why would... You know, the trouble, I think, and it's interesting, it seems as though often in our society, particularly in politics... People who change their mind, it's kind of flip flopper. -flopper, You know, you've got no conviction. We talk a lot of the time about when it comes to investing, you've got to have conviction. There's going to be volatility, there's going to be scary times. If you're going to like jump at every shadow, you're not going to do well as an investor. Um, And yet at the same time, we're sort of saying it's really, really important to change your mind. So, Give us a bit of a give us a bit of a feel for why why and when we should we should do such a thing. Yeah, it's really it's a really big topic, and I think you're right about um, the flip flopper thing. I think that there's we have this bias that we like our monkey brains wanted to see someone who's like strong and never changes their mind. Certainty sells. Right. Certainty sells, as know. we see when we go on TV with other people we're on with. Yeah, you don't need to like nuance isn't interesting, right? People don't yeah. want to know maybe this and maybe that. They I've gotten plenty of hate mail over 100% the years of like certain. you said this and now you're saying that. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Like, you know, how, how dare, dare you, you change your mind? Um, so I think that's important, but you don't want to blow with the wind either. So True. you need to have some bedrock, at least mm. my my approach is some bedrock on which you build your investing yep. and that some um, kind of decision framework around that, that, that works with it. So for me, that's, you know, I'm quite heavy into valuation mm-hmm. and um, thinking through the business model and competitors and that kind of stuff, but it can be different for different people. The yep. key is that you have some something to base yourself on so you're not just like swinging with the market's uh, gyrations and moves swings yeah um so yeah there's a few things for me it's it's about selling quickly when a thesis is broken so when as i said you know think through why you own something Mm. um not just because it's going up sounds stupid (laughs) when you when you say that out loud it's sort of like duh yeah yeah but but it's 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 like it's actually fairly rare it's super rare it's rare even with professional it's rare with professional investors i think even as sounding as it is they might have some story that they might 
quickly mention, but the I think narrative, a lot of them, to use the parlance, yeah, yeah, it's very common for people not to really do that work and have a very clear understanding of why they own things. Yeah. There's a lot of like trend following. And when I say trend, I mean like following the herd of other fund managers, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a really key one for me. And I think um, another is thinking probabilistically, mm. uh, which I touched on before. So yeah. going back to our monkey brains, I yeah. think we are like, System one, which is the idea that your quick reaction monkey brain um, likes to think things are either going to happen or they're not. Yeah. So it's either like, oh, there's no chance that you know that it will rain tomorrow was raining last week or whatever. Right. There's right. A, you don't think about that. Then maybe it's a 25% chance or a 40% chance yeah. or a 70% chance. Very few chance. things in life are 100% certain. Exactly. Yeah. And but our brains like it's particularly in the markets. Yeah. We need to make quick decisions. Yeah. Um. To like you don't think oh there's a 20% chance that lion's gonna eat me. <laughs> oh, there's a lion. I'll take those. It's gonna eat me. I need to run. <laughs> um. And so that's that's part of what we're doing. But we have a we have a different part of our brain we can elevate and think through things probabilistically. I think that's key. So that BWX is a good example for me. It's not mm. just I don't think. I think it was um, the most likely outcome that the takeover failed because it had management backing and sure. Bain and everything else. Yeah. But it was probably about 40% for me, which is mm. actually pretty high when you consider how much the downside would be. Yeah. And that was enough to tip me over the edge. Yeah. So those are two of my biggies. I, 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 I 100% agree as well. And, and again, it's not like, you know, when you say 40, it wasn't 39.653%. You know, it, it, it is yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's yeah. a guess, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you, you, you have to look at what are the different possible futures, roughly which one, you know, do I think is more likely than the other, but not just that, what is the, let's assume that, you know, um, scenario A occurs, what's the likely consequence of that? If scenario B occurs, what's the, you know, so if you, you see a lot of situations in the market where it might be a high chance that something happened, maybe 60, 70, 80%, but if the upside is 5%, yeah. and if that other 20% means that it's going to fall 90%, that's yeah. a really dumb bet. That's a bad you know, like bad No gambler is going to make 100%. that bet. Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. I'd hate to equate investing with gambling, but it's it's a lot of parallels there as well. So you, I 100% agree with you on on, um, on probabilistically thinking things through. In terms of that, that thesis, um, yeah. I think writing it down is super super important i think when you write something down it forces you to actually it makes you it realize through. how little you know i so think a great tweet on that today yeah. from shane parish i don't know if you saw yeah, that right. from farnham street blog yeah, yeah. it great. makes you realize the process of trying to write it down makes you realize how little you understand it often and, and then it forces you to understand it to a level that you can explain it to someone and else. if you can't understand it after yeah. doing that as well i think a lot of the time we feel as though we have to reach oh, a decision we yeah. have to it has to be like a, a strong yes or a strong no or i I know I get criticized for this, but I'm really, really big on, on just saying, I don't know, and, and just putting things in the too hard basket. There's 2,000 stocks on the ASX out there. Why am I going to stuff around with things that I kind of feel I sort of maybe have a grasp on when there are other things that I'm never going to have 100% certainty on, but I can have a much, much higher degree of certainty on as well. So just that very act of writing it down. And, and when you're writing it down, you're also saying, I think what's important is what are the conditions under which I recognize this as being broken? So, yeah, that's the key. Do you know what I mean? So, so people, like selling is hard. I, I'd say selling is harder than buying. And, and generally speaking, when you're in a scenario where it goes both ways, the share could be like surging super high or it could be just crashing low and you're going to make dumb decisions in that, in that um, frame of mind. If you've got it written out in advance, like if this does not happen, that constitutes mm. a broken thesis. Or if this doesn't happen, I'm going to sell out. It, it's there in black and white. And it forces you to be much, much more honest with yourself. Yeah, 100%. So that's, yeah, that for me with uh, 
with BWX and when we first bought, you know, had plenty of notes on it and it was 83% of sales were coming from Sukin. Yeah. And all of my thesis was around Sukin. Yeah. And um, there's kind of a risk section, which is if they start making major acquisitions that don't go too well, that mm. would be a big risk. Yeah. And I didn't think that was, that was like just the last risk that I mentioned. Yeah. And it turned out to be exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd noticed even earlier because I could have sold it at $8, not right, 6 right. And so, that, you know, could have gone back and done that. But I think it is super valuable when you do need to make that tough call. You need to go back and read your original thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you I know guess, what's worth mentioning there yeah. as well? So in this instance, you were right to sell. Yeah. But there is another parallel universe out there where you sold and the takeover offer went through and then they went on to, or, or perhaps they just you know, felt yeah. better, went on to greater and greater things. And it's easy to sort of reflect on a scenario like that and go, I I did the wrong thing. Now, at one level, you did the, you do the wrong thing. But in terms of process, you mm. did exactly the right thing. Yeah. And I think investors shouldn't beat themselves up too much about that. If you've followed a very, very strong process and it still turns out to be the wrong decision, you should make that same decision again and again and again. You, you, you did the right thing. It just didn't lead to the right outcome. Yeah. It's just like poker or anything else, right? Yeah. If you go all in on one spin of the roulette wheel and happens to get it, doesn't mean that you're smart. Right. <laughs> um, Is there a roulette wheel in poker? <laughs> I'm mixing okay, metaphors okay, here. Okay. I'm mixing metaphors. Um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's really good. And I think uh, isn't this kind of like why you created Strawman, Andrew? If yeah. I, if oh, well, part of the reason. So one of the interesting things is is that we um, anyone can jump on there and and make recommendations, but we actually force people to write a reason to down. Each other. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> two <laughs> investors until one investor leaves. Yeah. No, we, we you, you can't put a recommendation in without writing down a little bit about your thoughts or at least endorsing those of another yeah, person. Nice. So you're forcing you're forcing good process. It was a hard decision, frankly, yeah. because it's a, it, everything everyone will always tell you. People don't always to, want to do that. No, right? it's hard. Exactly. Anytime you're adding friction to any kind of online process, it's yeah. it's a bad thing. But it was a very deliberate decision because I frankly think if you're not going to be bother and it's not like we have make you write like a 2000 yeah. word thesis here it's just like you write one we've got one member who just writes growth well, you know, <laughs> but you've got to you've got to put down a reason for yeah. doing it for the community but also for yourself and yeah. i think it's super super important it's very good practice i wish there was like some little thing that popped up whenever i went to hit buy yeah said, hey have you done adequate research on this have you ticked these boxes yeah, it's really useful cool to come back to actually again it's just yeah. i just i just do all of, of my writing online now because i've just got that touchstone to come back and go this is why i bought it has things changed if so yeah i need to make and an, an, the, the other i think you mentioned this before is this idea of what's the word the endowment effect this idea mm. that when you own something things change a lot yep. and you rationalize uh -huh. all of this kind of stuff and i think if you can just do all this kind of stuff you, you basically need to approach a decision of holding of continuing to hold is best answered by asking yourself if i didn't own and i had no dog in this fight would i buy today yeah and if the answer is no then you probably shouldn't be holding. Yeah, right? you should probably be selling. I think that's, that is the most clarifying question. Yeah. Would you buy today if you yeah. didn't own? And you, a lot of times when you talk to people, that's they like you can see a relief in their face. Yeah. <laughs> like they, you know, their shoulders relax a little. Oh, I didn't. I don't own this yes. horrible thing. Yes. And the clear answer is no. They wouldn't be buying. They're just they're just scared, right, to lose. They're doing all of those. I don't know. I say they. You know, me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we yeah. all do they, it, right? Us, yeah. You know, we, um, us. We all do it. It's, and it, it, it's that other evil of investing too which is anchoring it's yeah. like well i bought it at eight yeah. now it's four dollars you know it's cheaper maybe if i average down my you know I, my loss won't seem as bad i'll feel a bit better about myself and it's just 
just wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah, there's a, a philosophy I try and kind of live my life by to a degree, oh, yeah? which is that the hard thing to do and the right thing to do are almost always the same thing. Yeah. And I think that really so applies with, with selling as well. Like yep. the, if it's really hard, but you think it's the right, you know, then yeah. it, it probably is time to do it. Yep. Um, whereas the e- if the easy thing is just to hold on and close your eyes and probably avoid oh, that. It's action. just such a, yeah. so it, it very rarely ends well when yeah. you do that process. Yeah, 100%. Well, that, listeners, is thesis creep. Yeah, um, avoid that. So, avoid yeah, th- it. So thesis creep is letting your thesis change over time mm. um, and just kind of going with it. So if it, for me, it would be if BWX, I was all about Sukin, and then they tried to acquire stuff, and I said I'm not interested in that at all, but then it's like, oh, maybe, okay. Like this, the, yeah. you, you read a good management presentation, you're okay, my thesis is this now. And you have to be adaptable. It should change mm. with time, but mm. you just can't let it just creep just because management are pushing something on you. You have to be rationally do, do you know what i you know what i'm a sucker for so i'll um buy a company and i'll i'll have a clear thesis yeah and it turns out to be you know, dead wrong <laughs> yeah and then the, and then the share price falls and said so when my my thesis creep yeah. is that's a yeah, trap it's so a dangerous. pretty shitty company now but now it's in the price it's cheap so it's kind of like i was wrong but now it's still worth holding on because it's just so 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 cheap mm. um and I've got to be honest with you, I don't, there's probably like three times that's worked out well um, for every, you know, 10 that that hasn't worked out well. Yeah, I think that, I think that the way to frame it is should always be, this is what I think the market is very wrong about. Yes. Rather than that cheap, because it's so, it's, it's, we've all been there, but it's just so easy to just get dragged down that slow decline vortex, you know. Um, It's interesting you say that about the market being wrong, because I think anytime you buy or sell, you are overtly and specifically, yeah in no uncertain terms saying the market is wrong yeah. because it's letting me buy these shares super cheap or it's letting you know it's allowing me to sell at an elevated price it's a unique Which, combination of humility and arrogance i think to be is. an investor right you need it to be is. humble enough to change your mind but arrogant enough to like disagree with thousands of other people you know and you cue, cue all the buffett quotes out there you know greedy when others are fearful and all this other kind of stuff but the reality is that the market by and large usually yeah, pretty smart right, right? Yeah, it's yeah. usually pretty smart and so uh, i think when you when you acknowledge that and you take that market seriously even for things that you just don't get and you think this is mm. crazy um you've got to treat the other side if you're a bull you have to treat the bears extraordinarily seriously treat them with respect respect yeah, and munger again to quote him he always say you've got to be able to argue their case better than yes. they can now that's 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 dominance I like isn't that, that brilliant. that's like yeah that's don't agree with i mean obviously yeah. you don't but if you can't if you can't articulate the opposite to what you're thinking yeah really 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 well that alone is a good reason not to buy yeah Totally. Well, okay. So let's talk a little bit about. Let's go to the mailbag. The mailbag. Some, uh, yeah, Do I need some a sound effect? No, hopefully, <laughs> no, I found no, a sound no effect. Going to get Jim Kramer on you, listeners. What's a mailbag sound effect, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> like a, I don't know. A door? Uh, How do you make it? What sound does a bag make? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. No sound um, effects. No sound effects. Um, okay. No sound effects. Cool. Totally putting <laughs> You've got mail. Um, uh, so we had uh, Mitchell, um, hi Mitchell, wrote into us and he said, uh, I've enjoyed your podcast so far. I like this so far. It's kind of like <laughs> things could still go wrong. Stay on your toes. <laughs> Keep it up. Stay now. on track. Um, you're pretty positive on pushbait. That is an understatement. The other day and enjoyed the talk about inflection points and read Matt's blog post about it too, Very which oh, we should, yes, um, mention that as well. MattJoss.com. Yes. Uh, go there. You'll find a lot of really good stuff. Anyway, he goes on to say he went and he started having a look at pushpay as a result of that. And he Googled to check out their competitors and found that there were, wait for it, good research, by the way, Mitchell, mm. 61 
different competitors in this space, in this church management system space. Uh, Breeze and Tithe.ly in particular, he felt looked like pretty strong competition. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, he talks a bit about Tithe.ly. It plays off this built by pastors for pastors type phenomenon. And you know, compare this to the bio of Chris on Pushpay's site, um, uh, which is, you know, it's a much more a, a business accomplishment theme. There's no real word there about religious uh, exploits or faith. So they're trying to, there's a bit of a commercial, uh, more of a commercial element to it than, than you know, uh, a faith-based element to it. Um, he also noticed too, he jumped onto to Glassdoor, which is always a, a nice little bit of um, a research yeah, tool, research. by the way. For those who don't know, Glassdoor is where it allows employees and ex-employees to rate the place that yeah. they used to work. All those positive mentions from ex-employees. All those positive <laughs> mentions. Yeah. And um, he said that if you go, and I've done this myself, you go and you look at there and it really sort of paints this picture of a very salesy culture as well mm. um, and a fairly high pressure one. So he goes on, there's, there's a few more here, but I think the, the, that's the essence of the question here, Matt, is yeah. that he makes a really, really good point. Some pretty negative glass door reviews from employees and former employees, a very salesy, very commercial type culture, and and just a, a, a lot of competitors. What say you to yeah. all of that? It was a great question. Thank you, Mitchell. Yeah, thanks, Mitchell. All right, let's wrap it up. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're out of no. time. <laughs> no, no, it's a very good question. Yeah, so I think he's kind of getting to is there, what's the competitive advantage of Pushpay? And I think I love that research that he's done. So I think that's super important. That's very aligned with how I like to dig into the company after you've done all the financial stuff is just really trying to understand the competitors, which is so often missed. It's really yeah. bizarre, like how often you'll have this really detailed pitch from someone. It's like, oh, who's their biggest competitor and why are they better than them? And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> stony silence. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's hard to see that Yeah, because it is hard work. You have to like go out and read a lot of stuff. It really is. And obviously um, the competitors have got their own presentations. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, they're, they're talking a good game. No one's telling you why, you why know, they're not as good as the other companies. Everyone's got that yeah. chart with market share and how they're going to capture all of it. You know? Yeah. So in Pushway's example, you found um, some good examples of competitors mm. that I think we're talking through. So Pushpay, as I as I think we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, mm. is focused very much on the large church segment. So yeah. they have the largest church in America now with 55,000 weekly attendees. Man, that blows my that. mind. Yeah, it's just, it's huge. And they're teleconferencing some of these churches. Yeah, some of those, too. yeah, most of the, that one would be. And so you'd have one core um, church and then several up to like eight satellite churches, which would be literally just broadcasting, you know, with the cable Amazing. connection. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of people that would tune in online as well. So it's not even attending in person. A lot of Don't that. have to so, dress up for church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> benefit there. Um, so that's the the segment, which is churches with over a thousand weekly attendees mm-hmm. that Pushpay is focusing on. And that was a very deliberate decision. It kind of actually answers a couple of the questions he had. So no. previously, until mid mid twenty seventeen, they were also targeting the small church segment. Yep. And they have quite a big sales team, which were. Um, you know, going out and, and trying to capture as much of that as they can. And uh, with a, a sales strategy that was a lot more commercial, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, you could say negatively that it could be aggressive, but it was more um, direct, I guess, than just, well, the tradition, there wasn't really, they're competing, I say more aggressive than nothing really, right. because it's not common to have anyone pitch you these things Yes. Um, in the industry. So so they, would, they were doing that, but they decided, they kind of looked at the data and realized that um, a lot of those small churches actually shut down mm. or they stopped using using pushback because they never really implemented in the first place so they had quite high churn there about well about 20 percent a year which for them is quite high is it also Um, fair to sorry to interrupt but is it also fair to say there's just not much bang for your buck for every sales mm. person you've got out in the field they 
they, you know, they might win 10 churches, but it's far better to go and just win one that's 10 times the size. Yeah, right? or 100 times the size. Yeah, 100 you know, times like, the yeah, size, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's not a... There's not a linear relationship between the amount of work and, and the reward. You're you still say. talking to one sort of decision maker on the other side of the yeah, table. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. sometimes it can be harder, So, um, particularly for Pushbase case. So Pushbase is trying to build a very premium, you know, ticking all the boxes, handle all this stuff. And if you're going out to a small church, it can actually be harder to sell because you're trying to sell something they don't need, um, which, isn't always, which isn't a good situation. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Pushbase um, moved away from that. They um, laid off a lot of staff, mm. um, salespeople that were associated with that segment. Yeah, um, and that I think is a big part of the driver for the negative Glassdoor review. So I definitely did look at Glassdoor. It's one of the negatives of the company. Not yep. everything is is positive, right? Yeah, um, and that's one that I'd, I've been watching. I think uh, the CEO Chris has been more active on there, particularly over the last year, mm. um, replying to almost every negative one that comes out. Yeah, um, and so uh, that's good to see. It was something I addressed directly with them in Seattle. Um, yep. But yeah, so that I guess the the core point there is that Pushpay is very focused on that. Um, top end segment but their competitors particularly Tide.ly have really expanded into that lower segment mm. um, which is just a very different business model right? right so you're doing a much lower cost but much less fully featured Yeah. and they're kind of right now I think they've been growing very fast over the last 18 months because they're pushing into an area where Pushpay has avoided or right. abandoned to a right. degree not abandoned but they're not targeting it anymore like they were yeah. so it's like it's left quite a good um, golf I guess for Tide.ly and others to expand into Okay, but I don't see that they're not competing in these large church segments which is where the, the real economics are is there a okay so that's great and they've yeah. still got a lot of um, hit me with a half tough question well, I feel like uh, we've been, know, yeah. look uh, there's, there's obviously a long runway to go with those yeah. big churches right um but at a point, assuming they get all of them, they're, they're going to have to push down, right? So does it, does it become – and by the time they do this, maybe these other guys are far more entrenched. Does it become a problem then or is it just a case of by the time that happens, they'll already be you know, multiples bigger than they are now? Yeah, so in terms of donations, I think something like 85% of the donations are made by the largest church segment, which is what Pushpay is wow. targeting in terms of donation volume. Yeah. So the, uh, you could sign up a lot of individual churches and get some software revenue, but it would be – fractions of what you could get right. um, from the large church mm. but that's one aspect the other is because of those great economics um you expand to be so large and you can have that like reinforcing loop where you are more profitable and you reinvest aggressively as pushpay does so they have a hundred developers working for them um, wow. you know that'd be multiples bigger than the entire company of some of those that small blows my mind yeah yeah so they yeah they uh they have a hundred developers already and they're looking to expand that by like 30 percent over the next year it's um they've also, also got this big sales force and all that means that over time their product just keeps getting better right because you have more um, cash flows coming in you spend that to make a better product and it just creates that bigger gulf yep. I think at a certain point you could go and acquire one of these smaller companies that has a lot of the it has a different brand that's mm. not targeted towards a high end it has mm. a different product so yep. you don't have to like lower push base quality down there or you know destroy the value you've created you know by lowering the price or yeah, using yeah. like push pay light yep. so you could go and acquire that and probably for you know a fraction of what you're worth because you've got the bigger segment and I think that's part of their, their game plan mm. um, I caught up with them actually when they visited Sydney recently oh, yeah. um, leadership team CEO and CFO etc mm -hmm. um, yeah and I think that that is kind of I pitched that playbook and they seemed receptive to it uh, okay. to potentially happening down the track but nothing nothing immediate um, but I think that they are more um, open to expanding into nearby adjacencies with that big church segment they're very focused mm. on um, building a product that people you know 
wouldn't ever want to leave. Yep. And that's they're playing the long game, which is always very nice to hear as an investor. Oh, but very much yeah, so. so I think it's a really good question. I, I looked at Tide.ly first myself. It was one of my big humps to get over when yeah. I first invested, you know, almost well two years ago now. Um, and so I think that's a very good thing to look at. And I continuously monitor it. So when this question came through, I went and checked all the stats. And Tidely have been doing pretty well, but I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I think we touched on this when we first talked to Pushpay, but do you ever envisage a situation where, a, I don't know, a PayPal or someone decides, hey, this is a big market, we could exploit this, and maybe they go in there and sort of buy up some of these smaller competitors and then bring some of that muscle to the show? They could, but it's for them it's just so small, you know? Like if we think right. we, we have to think in like trillions of dollars for the big competitors like Stripe. That's what they're, right. ta- they're targeting and doing. Like Visa does many trillions so of dollars So even if they were year. successful, what, it boosts things by, what, 5% or yeah, something? Yeah, but they could do an acquisition, I think, for some of them um, would be the way. Like it'd be much easier than going and building a sales force, so Pushpay could sell to them. Um, yep. Yeah, I think that's an option. I think that the company had been – they would consider that for sure at the right price and everything else. Um, it just depends on how well they can build things themselves first and what else they do. So, And over time, they're becoming less payments. That's the other kind of wrinkle on that yeah. is they're becoming more like a church software company. Yep. And so it yep. becomes less of a pure play for like a payments company to go and buy them. Gotcha. So, it's yeah. all the administration side of things. Yeah, the admin side, the engagement side. Um, and they actually, when I caught up with them, they're talking a bit about an interesting thing, which is just a donor management system. So um, it's it's, again, the admin side, but it's like, all of your donors, including cash and check and everything else, mm. you need a, bit, a way to manage that and give them appropriate like giving certificates and all the tax mm. side of it. Um, that's something that they're, they're like looking to offer more to become more sticky and gotcha. all those good things. So, yeah. Um, one final question: mm. What if uh, religion goes away? What if religion goes away? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, we better wrap it up there, Matt. Um, thank you. Very good answer, by the way. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a pass for that. All right, it, pass. Seemed, it pretty, seemed pretty thorough. Hopefully, Mitchell, it, it answered or addressed your very legitimate concerns there as well. Yeah. Um, and as Matt mentioned before, we would encourage you to write into us. We've gotten a bunch of stuff, and I should just mention on that, we do read everything. We do take it very seriously. We do have a list. So yeah. it's a, it's a, the way we sort of weigh it up is, like, you know, we'll, we'll pay more attention to the requests that are more dominant. Yeah. You know, if we get 100 requests on one company and one on the other week, we're yeah. going to favor the former. And if I'm being frank too, there's just some that we are more interested yeah, in ourselves. Yeah, I think we want, we want interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's our podcast. So we, <laughs> we get to decide. <laughs> we <all> we <laughs> but, um, yeah, but we, we, know we love that feedback. We really yeah. do. Yeah. And, and, and suggestions and all of that kind of stuff as well. So please, please. Um, uh, write into us uh, that email address again is three wise monkeys podcast at gmail.com you can reach me on twitter at sage underscore simeon and uh, matt at matt joss m-a-t-t-j-o-a-s-s and mattjoss.com and well. uh, claude who is normally here yep. could be reached at, at claude d walker and ethical equities and ethical equities.com and strawman.com for andrew he's too he's too good to mention (laughs) oh a bit of a bit of news you mentioned uh 300 developers yeah i've got one developer who's (laughs) part-time is it you yeah it's not me i mean i wish you know if i had my time again (laughs) i I probably would have done a bit of um coding on the side but um it's been a long time coming but there is a new skin it's imminent i know i've been saying it for a while it's imminent matthew it's gonna come it's gonna like this site that currently looks like it was built 10 years ago it's going to look like a very modern very swish very it's exciting mobile. I'm, Ooh, I'm very i'm very excited so uh we are we are going to push that up very very soon um but look i think that's about it any last words no i'd say yeah get in touch i love love getting those uh, emails through and uh 
yeah, rate, comment, subscribe, tell your friends. Make sure you do that as well. Thank you. I forgot about that one. That does definitely help. We've got a thousand listens or so yeah, on the few of the podcasts. Yeah, episode at the moment. Great and, uh, Super yeah, exciting. So cool. thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you for your absolutely. support. Um, we obviously, it's you know, if no one's listening, we're just chatting to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So which we, we, we do anyway. We I do guess, anyway, <laughs> but we might as well <laughs> put nice it on the internet. People, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So look, until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.